Informed Dissent, brought to you by Firearm Training Associates. Firearms Training Associates is, is a lucky company because we have been able to draft in some of the best instructors in the world. We have special operations guys, we have guys from the U.S. military, from foreign militaries that work for us. They provide a great deal of insight into self-defense. So we developed this so that our customers could come on the weekends and get the best training in the world. We pride ourselves on our civilian training. It's our armed civilian that's one of the most important things to us. We want to teach them how to survive dangerous situations. When you come through the course, as long as you're performing at a acceptable level, you're going to get a certificate that puts our stamp on it. And we take it serious when we put our stamp on there. When you get our gold label, that means that you've passed the class that you've attended. Firearm Training Associates, proud sponsor of Informed Descent. Find out more at ftatv.com. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Well, Mark, great to be with you on another episode of Informed Dissent. Welcome back. Welcome back to you. You've been traveling, and uh, we've got some really fascinating guests to talk about a very disturbing but unfortunately growing topic here. Uh, in America and probably around the world. And we've got, uh, and uh, forgive me if I pronounce your names wrong, but we've got Kat Kattison, um, who is a person who has detransitioned. And we'll talk more about that. And Stephanie Wynn, who's a therapist and also the associate producer on an upcoming documentary called Affirmation Generation. Mark, you and I both were able to uh, see part of that documentary. And we'll talk a little bit about that. So Kat and Stephanie, uh, welcome to Informed Dissent. Thank you for having us. It's great to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. If you're watching on the Patreon network, you'll see over Cat's uh, left shoulder. There's a uh, a beautiful cat. What cat? What's your cat's name? Uh, this one's name is Teddy, and the other one's name is Pepper. She might make an appearance at some point too. <laughs> great. And I've got one named Winston that likes to hop in front of the camera as well. So we'll see if um, if she shows up here uh, shortly. So Kat, you've got quite a story and it's not, unfortunately, very unfortunately, it's not a unique story, but you've been brave enough to share your experience. So uh, start wherever you'd like and, and tell us about your experience. Sure. So first and foremost, I'm a singer and a musician. I grew up in a musical family and uh, I started performing with my family at around age seven. So that was a really big part of my life and just extremely important to me. Um, and I always wanted to do it as a career someday. And, um, or just, you know, be able to have the freedom to do that as, as much as I wanted. Uh, and then, but also starting at a young age, I struggled with um, what people call gender dysphoria, I felt uncomfortable being a girl. Um, for various reasons, I, I think most of them were social reasons. Um, like for instance, feeling unsafe in social settings as a girl, um, not having the freedom to, like I saw, I would see like little boys being able to take their shirts off in public and stuff like that. And, and I knew like as a girl, that wasn't okay for me to do. And that felt very limiting and just, you know, various other things. Um, I also have, you know, not to go into too much detail, but I do have a history of trauma and abuse as well. Um, and I know that that, um, affected me as well. So at age five, I asked my mom uh, if it was possible to 
become a boy and she didn't even really know anything about transgender people at that time. And she said, no, it's not. And so I just kind of dumped the idea until I was 13. And at that time I was online and I was, I don't, I don't even remember how I stumbled across it, but I found a forum for quote, female to male, uh, transgender people. And, um, it had tips on passing and binding your chest and, packing and uh you know how you could access testosterone thankfully i'm a, a bit older than some detransitioners and um so puberty blockers was not that wasn't something that was like all the rage back then like i didn't even think it was really possible to transition until i was an adult but pretty much at age 13 i started planning like as soon as i get out of my parents house like i'm gonna transition and um but it was a, you know, it was a hard decision for me because it's like I, my singing voice was so important to me. And um, so it actually took me until I was in my mid twenties to start kind of considering the possibility of transition again. And when I was 28 was when I started to finally medicalize. Um, well, actually previously um, when I was 23, I had done one dose of testosterone, but I started taking testosterone like continuously at 28. I started planning to have top surgery to remove my breasts. Um, and I was talking with a surgeon to have that done. And, um, but you know, it, it's kind of a good thing and a bad thing. I started to have health, negative health effects, like very quickly in my case, um, like just liver and gallbladder symptoms, um, heart palpitations, which was also probably from the binding, um, I started to, you know, not only was my singing voice like changing, but it became very painful. And I started to have this throat problem that I'm still dealing with today. Um, and so my quality of life was just deteriorating because of the, you know, A, not being able to sing and also the physical health issues. Um, so I ended up detransitioning after less than a year. I just kind of went off of the testosterone and canceled um, my top surgery. But it took to, to like ideologically detransition. I'd say it took like six months to a year um, because that's another part of it is just like changing your mindset and like not believing that you're born in the wrong body any longer. So that's kind of my story in a nutshell. And since then I've, you know, I've gone back to school and I graduated um, with my degree in um, molecular biology and I've also returned to doing music. So, yeah. So if I can ask you a few questions and um, and please don't answer if you're not comfortable, um, we make the assumption that people understand what you're talking about. Some do, yeah. <laughs> I do, but I think a far larger number of people do not understand some of the language you're using. So you talk about things like binding. Explain yes. to the audience what you mean by that. So there's this whole idea of you know, the whole idea behind transgender is your, your soul or your mind doesn't match your body. Um, you know, some people even say, like, you can have a, f a female brain in a male body or a male brain in a female body, which is what I thought I had. And so, you know, it's not the brain that's wrong, it's the body that's wrong. And so there's certain traits that kind of identify you as the sex that you are. In my case, you know, I grew breasts when I was around 13. And that's around the same time that I started binding with an ACE bandage, um, which is actually really harmful. Um, I don't recommend that to anyone to do. Um, 
but so yeah i was i was binding i started with an ace bandage and then later i bought some like commercial binders but i did it on and off for years and years it's just like tightly constricting the chest which also constricts your breathing um so it's it's really not a healthy thing to do and people just tend to talk about it in the trans community like it's harmless but it's actually pretty risky it's relatively timely because recently the store target has come out and announced that they're going to actually sell supplies to transitioning folks that include items to help them bind. And another word you used is packing. Explain what that is. <laughs> so um, that is essentially simulating a more male looking crotch area. So some people will pack with like a sock, for instance, and then there's like commercial packers that are supposed to actually you know, look like you have something down there that <laughs> that you don't. And uh, so I I never went expensive with mine, but usually like a pair of socks or something um, just to kind of, yeah, conceal that that area and make it look a little more convincing. Um, but I didn't really do that very often because I just had trouble passing in general, even when I was on testosterone, like I'm very, very petite and small bone. So it would have been like pretty difficult for me to pass as a man. I would have probably had to stay on testosterone for like years. Um, and even then, like, I'm, I'm just so small that like people probably would have noticed that I was trans. And you went so far as to actually schedule the term that's used, and I, and I think it's used to normalize, minimize, sterilize what's actually being done, is you went so far and scheduled top top surgery. Yeah. <laughs> you scheduled a procedure to actually have your female breasts removed permanently. Mm -hmm. And then it yeah. changed your mind. Yeah, pretty much like um, two months before I would have had it done was like when... I started, well, I went through this really dramatic um, voice change was what kind of triggered me to start questioning some of the like permanent changes. Like my voice had been changing gradually and I was excited to be able to start hitting, you know, some of the lower notes and like seeing some songs that were designed for men. Um, but then there was this one really dramatic voice change where um, suddenly like I, not only could I not sing, but it was like painful and um you know uncomfortable to speak as well and like so that like after that was triggered i realized that doing music was a huge like coping mechanism for me and like emotional um it, it was relieving to me from my distress to be able to be creative and like sing and do music and so when i couldn't do that it was like i was like oh my gosh like what am i what am i doing like i don't know if i'm doing the right thing anymore and so i decided to like just I initially didn't think I was canceling it for good, but I was just like, I'm going to hold off on getting the surgery because like, I want to make sure that it's like not going to be another change that I could regret. Um, so I'm really thankful that I did cancel that because um, that would have been a huge recovery. And just, you know, I, a lot of people I know have gone that far and even, even further before they detransitioned and it's not an easy thing to recover from. And you mentioned earlier, and share only if you want, um, but I'm just curious, when you were younger, you had significant abuse. I is that a commonality amongst people that want to transition? I would say um, from the people I know that have transitioned and detransitioned, it's definitely like more common than the general population, especially like female detransitioners, like a lot of them 
went through abuse and like didn't feel safe as a woman like that is one of the common themes it's not the same for everybody but that's kind of like one of the common narratives you hear for sure mark talk a little bit about your understanding with folks that are wanting to transition or feel that they're in the the wrong gendered body well, something that that cat had brought up that i think is important for everyone to understand is is that this phenomenon of transgenderism was largely restricted to boys until recently and the female percentages have now doubled uh, in just a few years, which shows that the effect of society is driving this and not, uh, not biology. It's an environmental contagion as opposed to an internal biological one. And the sooner that we acknowledge that, the sooner we'll be able to actually help people who are suffering because there is an emotional and mental provocation. This is not a, a genetic condition. This is not an infection. This is not something you can treat with a procedure, no more than you can treat body dysmorphia with amputation. And I think that as we've moved away from allowing people to harm themselves who have body dysmorphia by cutting off body parts, we should be, if we are moral and ethical and, and caring people, we should be doing the same for people who are suffering from confusion about what their uh, gender identity is. So that's something that most people are not aware of in the general community, that this is really, this is a, a, a largely a, a female phenomenon now. And that means that we have, we're really failing young girls and we're, uh, we're, we're sort of re-victimizing many of them. As you said, Kat, you know, you, you suffered a lot of abuse when you were younger, and now you and others have been re-abused, essentially, by adults. And I think that's really tragic and, and inexcusable. I was curious to ask you something. Um, I don't know if you've, I don't think you've answered this. Was there a moment where you realized that this was wrong, that you were heading in the wrong direction, and, and what provoked it? A lot of people that are trying to help those who have... Uh, been taken down this this wrong path. Uh, ask the question: What what is it that can change people's minds? What do they need to know to be able to shift? And I'm I'm wondering what it was for you that allowed you to to realize that you were you were harming yourself. You weren't helping yourself. Yeah. Um, so a few things like you know what I said earlier um, about it was actually kind of fortunate that I had health issues like early on. Um, like that was one thing because I could actually feel that I was harming my body. Like, you know, I went from being, I mean, relatively healthy, healthier I'll say. Cause I did also um, struggle with an eating disorder for a lot of years, which um, also did some damage to my body. Um, but I started having these crazy physical symptoms very quickly that I didn't have before. It was like, a pronounced difference. Um, so I could actually feel that harm was happening to my body. And, um, you know, how I sort of justified that for a while was like, well, this is the only way this is the only treatment for gender dysphoria. So I guess it's better than the alternative. But when basically, when I lost my singing voice, I was just like, okay, this is it like, there has to be something better. Like I, you know, I, I wasn't ready to accept myself as a woman, like straight away. But I was like, I just can't keep medically transitioning. Um, and my fear is that a lot of people there, it's, it's like a lot later when they realize the harm, you know, a lot of people have to go through a surgery or, 
you know, they don't have side effects from the hormones until five or 10 years down the line. And that's what we're hearing from a lot of people, or it, it triggers, you know, an autoimmune condition, especially for like, for male um, detransitioners, um, or heart problems or something like that. And so I am fortunate that it happened early for me. Kat, didn't any of the doctors along the way, the ones that were prescribing testosterone or the, the surgeon who agreed that they would remove your breast, didn't any of them talk about this with you and suggest or, or want you to see a therapist or get counseling? No, um, therapy was never really recommended to me um, because there's something called the informed consent model of care, care, um, lots of air quotes in this uh, conversation, which is usually the case with like gender identity ideology. But um, I basically just, I got my hormones through Planned Parenthood, um, which is what a lot of people are doing now because they, they work off of the informed consent model, um, which means basically um, you just either go in or for me, it was over the phone. And they just basically prescribe it to you if you ask it. Like they, they did tell me some, you know, effects of the of the testosterone, but they mostly focused on like the aesthetics. Like they're like, okay, your voice will get deeper. You'll, you know, grow facial hair. And like it was very little like of the actual medical side effects that could happen. Like I remember really the only warning they gave me was like, you know, you probably shouldn't smoke or like drink to excess. Um, when you're on this medication and it's like pretty much any doctor will say that like it's just like a routine thing for them to say like don't smoke um or like you know they ask you if you smoke so like i didn't really i didn't realize how serious the risks were um because you know despite having a background in biology like i had taken things that trans activists said to, to reassure me and you know, I mean, the doctors presented it to me as if it was relatively safe as well. Kat, where, where are you now? Um, are you in therapy? Where are you with your own sexuality and your comfort level in your own body? Where, where, where is Kat today? Um, I'd say today I'm doing pretty well. Um, like better, definitely better than I was when I was transitioning or before that, I think that, um, like I, I have been to therapy on and off and also meditation has been a really, really helpful tool for me. Um, so those things, and then, you know, right now I'm just, I'm working on myself still, and I'm really invested in my art and activism. And, uh, so, you know, I haven't really like my only relationship right now is kind of like with my art, I guess I'm, I'm married to my art right now and I'm enjoying that. But, um, you know, if, if the right opportunity comes along in the future, like I'm, you know, I'm happy to like still have the option to have children, which not every detransitioner has, sadly. Um, and for a while, you know, I didn't know if this could have affected my fertility, but then, you know, my period thankfully did come back and everything. So I'm, I'm really thankful for that. And your parents? My parents are great. Um, I, you know, pretty much we were somewhat estranged when I was trans um, because they actually did not affirm me. Um, at least not, not completely. Like at one point my mom did call me my preferred name because she didn't want me to completely like cut her off. Um, but this was when I was an adult, not a, not a kid. Um, but yeah, they're, they were not affirming of like the whole gender thing. And I think if they had actually affirmed and encouraged me down this path, I probably would, you know, feel some level of like anger or resentment. Um, you know, I'm sure they would have thought they were doing the right thing, but, um, 
so now that I've like detransitioned, like um, we have a good relationship and you know, they just, they love me no matter if I, I mean, they love me when I was trans too, but um, they're happy to see me like not harming my body anymore for sure. Yeah. Well, you're, you're certainly uh, very brave and uh, Stephanie, you are the associate producer of a upcoming documentary called Affirmation Generation. And of course, uh, it describes Kat's story. Tell us a little bit about the documentary and why did you make this? So our film features the stories of several detransitioners, including Kat, uh, as well as some other female, as well as male um, people who've gone through this experience, various hormones and procedures, and have suffered the consequences medically and psychologically. And more than that, they've been betrayed and abandoned by the authorities they put their trust in during a time of vulnerability. And that's why I'm out here doing this type of work. Um, we have many hardworking people behind this film, including parents who've um, tried to help their kids uh, not fall down that path too far. Um, and it's just time to expose what's going on with the gender crisis. You know, there's been a 4,000 percent increase, as you were saying, in especially adolescent girls with rapid onset gender dysphoria. In our film, we interviewed Dr. Lisa Lippman, who coined the term rapid onset gender dysphoria. And in addition to her and detransitioners, we have doctors, therapists, and um, professionals in journalism and research all coming together to explore um, what has happened to people like Kat and where is this coming from? And what do we need to do to prepare ourselves for all of the people like Kat who are coming down the pipeline? And are there any lawmakers that you're working with that are trying to put forward legislation to prevent, especially with minor children, to prevent uh, this pathway from occurring? Well, things are really coming to a head in the United States right now. It's hard to keep up, even as someone who has my finger on the pulse, it's hard to keep up because every state, you know, there's states either banning um, so-called gender-affirming care for youth, while there's other states like mine, unfortunately, Oregon, and you can relate, you're in California, that are proposing to be these sort of sanctuary states. So here in Oregon, I'm working with my representatives. Um, we've tragically had House Bill 2002 go through, which is pretty disastrous because it takes away parental rights for parents to even know if their kids are getting, whether it's abortions or uh, so-called sex change operations. Um, but things are coming to a head, and I hear that we're going to be facing this at a national level. Um, there are many great organizations doing wonderful work, like one that I know of is Do No Harm. There's the Society for Evidence-Based Gender Medicine and Partners for Ethical Care. And then CAT is also newly working with a, an organization called Transition Justice. Did you want to speak to that, Kat? Yes. Um, thanks for bringing that up. Um, so Transition Justice is a nonprofit that's connecting, uh, we say, survivors of experimental gender medicine um, with legal assistance. And we have we know of about 12 active cases right now and um, nine of which we facilitated. So um, I've been mostly managing the social media for transition justice. And it's also great to spread awareness because like, you know, there's a lot of the public that still doesn't know what's happening. And I think the reason why this has gone so far, part of the reason is that a lot of it's happening behind closed doors. Um, so being able to get the word out on social media, like that's been really powerful, I think. And um, so I'm, I'm really grateful to be working with this organization. Kat, what, what's your message to parents 
What should parents do if they have a child that is interested in transitioning? Yeah, um, that's a tough one because, you know, obviously I've been on the the, the kid side of it, you know, being a, a trans kid and like, um, but I would say get in touch with some groups who can help you. Um, Our Duty is a good one. They're a parents group um, that is dedicated to protecting children from gender ideology. Um, um, But also I would say like definitely show your kid understanding and compassion and like, you know, hold space for them and just ask, ask like non-judgmental questions, you know, and like really listen to them, but um, don't affirm the identity because that is just, you know, it all begins with the social transition and like the, the gender affirmation, like that's where it all starts. And a lot of these kids end up permanently medicalizing because they were affirmed at every step along, along the way by their friends and by their parents. It seems as if schools revere kids that want to transition or be something different than their biological sex. Do you think that's part of the problem? Is that there's this culture of celebrating those that want to transition? I do think it could be part of the problem these days. Like, like I said, I, I, I'm an older, I'm a millennial, (laughs) not Gen Z. And so, uh, like when I was in school, it wasn't quite at that point where it was so much of a social contagion. Like if at my school, if you were trans, you were definitely an oddball. Like, you know, I was like one of the only trans people that I knew. Um, like, I think I met one other trans person in high school. Um, so it wasn't like this really common thing back then, but I do think that nowadays, yeah, it's, it's a way to be special. I I feel like, I mean, who really wants to be a boring cis kid when it's like, you could be trans or non-binary and you could be part of this whole community. Um, so I do think that that's part of the appeal for some kids. Yeah. Mark, what about that? It's like the popular culture now you're celebrated if you're if you're different. You're celebrated if you want to be something that you're not. And if you're just a boring cis kid, you're looked down upon. Well, one of the big problems that I see with the growing firestorm of this transgender movement is that it thrives on the natural and expected developmental challenges and stress of young girls. Uh, your goal as an adolescent girl is to become a woman. It's to create an identity. And that's not easy. Uh, Everyone struggles with that. And rather than help young girls in guiding them towards becoming women, the throwaway solution is now, well, don't bother becoming a woman, just change your sex as if that's even possible when it's, it's not, it's a fantasy, but it's an avoidant behavior. And young children and adolescent girls will take what's easier. Most humans will. And of course that takes them down the path that Kath took, which luckily you were able to avoid before you went off the cliff, but many of them don't. And they wind up becoming infertile with osteoporosis and uh, ho- horrible multi-organ system problems and elevated risks of cancers. It's, it's really, really tragic, not to mention the, the emotional and mental suffering. The, the, the documentary, Stephanie, that you produced, I think is one of the three most important arms in the battle to fight this movement, the other two being financial and political. Uh, we talked about the politics. We haven't mentioned the financial. I know there's a lot of lawsuits being filed, particularly against Kaiser. 
uh, for mutilating young women. And I think that this is the moment we see multi-hundred million dollar lawsuits uh, with uh, with juries, which is going to happen eventually, whether it happens this year or in five years, we're going to see a deluge of this. That's going to shut it down very quickly because the people who are performing these surgeries are making a lot of money off of it. Uh, that's why there was such a big push to shut down the legislation in Florida that Governor DeSantis proposed and passed to ban taxpayer funded uh, sponsorship of these surgeries. Once you cut off the money flow, then the beast dies. But the third arm is education. Uh, it's, the, it's the social culture. And this is where I think we haven't really made a lot of headway yet. As Jeff said earlier, um, most people don't know what these terms are, you know, binding and packing and top surgeries. Uh, many Americans aren't aware of it. Stephanie, how important do you think it is for documentaries like yours to get out there to educate just everyday Americans, parents and young people about what's actually happening to get the, the truth out so that people can actually make informed decisions. Well, I think it's important that we spread the message for a number of reasons. Of course, um, many desperate, caring parents want to stop their kids from going down that path in the first place. But moreover, we need to prepare for more people who have had these experiences and and they've been traumatized by the very people who are supposed to help them. Doctors, therapists, you know, when you, you asked Kat if she had a therapist and um, Kat is, you know, in that category of people who went through the so-called informed consent process. So she didn't have a therapist involved in her process, but there are a lot of people for whom therapists played a role in pushing them down this path. Therapists were the ones who affirmed their gender dysphoria, who colluded with their mental health issues. And Stephanie, you are a therapist in case the listeners have not caught on yet. Right. You're going up against your own people. So I want to point that out, that this takes a lot of courage to call out people in your profession who are harming their own patients. So when it comes to the education component, we need my my main message for the mental health community is look how badly we have failed this whole community of people. You're giving them what they want now, you know, to these woke therapists who are virtue signaling, who are affirming the gender identities of their patients, feeling so good about themselves. You feel good about yourself now. You feel like you're doing the right thing. You feel like your patients appreciate you. But do you know where that person's going to end up five or 10 years down the line when they are suffering mentally and physically and they're more suicidal than they've ever been in their life and they hate your guts as a therapist. A lot of therapists don't want to face the reality that there are homicidal levels of rage in people who feel that they have been damaged by this. So the education component needs to be about the unique nature of the trauma that people have been through, the unique medical situations, the unprecedented, frankly, medical situations that people who would otherwise be fairly healthy because they're young are finding themselves in in their 20s and 30s. And then the mental health community needs to do a complete 180 to figure out how are we going to reach out and, and build bridges and establish trust because we certainly can't count on people who've been through these experiences, um, especially when therapists had a role in it, to turn towards us for help. So there needs to be a whole new level of trauma-informed care. You also asked earlier, you asked Kat, 
what parents can do. And um, I, I was sort of chuckling at all the questions you asked, Kat, because they're the questions I hear detransitioners being asked so much of the time. And I just want to take a moment to appreciate Kat and the other detransitioners who do do things like join our pod, our, excuse me, our documentary or come on my podcast and talk about that their experiences, because it takes a lot of strength to do that. It takes a lot of strength to tell your trauma stories over and over and to try to give advice to other people when you're still in your own healing process. So another education component needs to be for the parents. And that's where I do my parent consulting, um, parent therapy. We also have, you know, one of the other therapists in our documentary, Sasha Ayad, has a whole parent coaching system as well, because um, we need to help the adults who care the most about these young people who are frankly in a cult. And it takes a whole new level of psychological intervention to get them out of that. Stephanie, where will people be able to see the documentary and uh, where will be, when will it be released? Sure. So we previously gave an early access to an early edition of our film. And now we are getting our ducks in a row because we've partnered with a global distribution firm. So as of June 20th, um, that will be live. So I can't tell you exactly everywhere, but it will be um, view on demand um, worldwide. And you can stay tuned by visiting our website and following us on social media. So our website is affirmationgenerationmovie.com. You can follow us on Twitter at 2022 2022 affirmation um, or on instagram at affirmation generation and we'll be posting updates as things come along with our uh, distribution efforts as to where exactly you'll be able to watch that film and then i'm also excited to announce we just got word that it's looking like june 21st there are going to be actual uh, theater showings through amc theaters that's wonderful that's amazing uh, that is awesome amc yeah. agreed mm -hmm. to show the movie that's unbelievable. That's what's in my inbox right now. I don't. I... <laughs> if you guys have a formal premiere or something of that sort, would love to. Uh, would love to come along and support you and Cat. And Cat, I just want to tell you that I, I think you're incredibly brave, and I'm sure this continues to be a struggle for you. Um, I'm a primary care doc. Mark is a psychiatrist. If there's anything that either of us can do to help support you, please reach out. You've got Beth and Doc's contact information. And I'd be happy to support you and help you anyway. And Stephanie, thank you for bringing this movie uh, forward. I think it's important information that more people need to be aware of, especially parents and young kids that are in school and seeing this happen, um, you know, live action. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a critically important movie. And I applaud you for bringing this forward. And Kat, thank you for your bravery and your courage in speaking out. Thank you for having us. Thank you. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.